0: In this fourth and final episode of the podcast series, From Gut to Glory, Digesting the Potential of Gut Hormones in Type 2 Diabetes Management, we will consider further the patient perspectives of managing type 2 diabetes. Again, thank you to Priya and Michael for joining me for this discussion with EMJ. So in the previous podcasts, we've been focusing on incretin hormones. Um, Priya, for someone living with type 2 diabetes, how might we tailor their treatment pr- plan for overall health outcomes that focuses on incretin-based therapies.
1: Yeah, so you know now when we manage diabetes, we definitely have more of a discussion and involve patients in the um, in the decision making and in agreeing on a plan. So always the patient's preferences will come first. Some patients have a very strong preference to avoid injectable agents, which is a little bit more challenging. Uh, in offering them incretin therapies, because uh, although there are oral incretin therapies, those are uh, certainly uh, more expensive, less well-absorbed, and they have to be taken in a very specific way. Um, But in general, when we look at the armamentarium of agents that we have to treat diabetes, we're always looking for um, uh, um, uh, multiple benefits. Um, insulin, as Michael had alluded to in previous podcasts, is associated with weight gain. It's associated um, with hypoglycemia and it can limit the safety it can limit um, how safely you can get that tight glycemic control. But sometimes you need that if a patient needs, to get good glycemic control quickly for surgery or for wound healing, then insulin becomes very important. If someone has a very exhausted pancreas and has more of a type one physiology, insulin is definitely necessary. But the, the incretin therapies are certainly helpful in improving glycemic control in patients with type two diabetes. You need time to uptitrate it and you have to take into account issues such as tolerance Um, But again, those medications are associated with multiple benefits, particularly uh, the improvement in weight, the improvement in blood pressure. It can have beneficial effects on fatty liver. Um, There's actually been studies showing improvements in in, um, obstructive sleep apnea parameters, and that in itself indirectly influences glycemia. And then there are the so, so I tend to prioritize the use of those agents in patients with a higher burden of adiposity-related diseases and fatty liver disease. Um, the SGLT2 inhibitors are very beneficial in renal protection. In fact, when you look at their glucose lowering effects, it seems to be more of a cardiorenal medication than it is a potent um, uh, A1C lowering medication. So, you know, this medication is used largely in in my practice to sort of offset the um, long term side effects, the the long term complications of diabetes and has a particularly important role in um, reducing the risk of congestive heart failure. Uh, which is very different from the um, effect of GLP-1s or incretins on atherosclerotic cardiovascular disease. So I'll stop there and, and see if Michael has anything to add to that.
2: Well, I think it boils down. they are good medications for many people with type 2 diabetes, but the most convincing benefits, I think, they have in those needing injectable therapy because oral agents would not control their glycemia anymore. Mm -hmm. And for the majority, we would prefer GLP-1 receptor agonists over insulin treatment. Mm -hmm. Uh, And the particular benefit of reducing uh, cardiovascular events like myocardial infarction and stroke Mm -hmm. for those who already had some events like this or the equivalent damage to their cardiovascular system uh, for them. And these are large proportions. So we are talking about like uh, 30, 35% of the total population having each of these main indications. So that alone would suggest that we use them quite frequently.
1: Yeah. Yeah, you're absolutely right. And and, um, diabetes management now is so much more than just glycemic control.
0: And are there any patient populations that you perhaps would perhaps consider not appropriate in this instance? Then we've talked a lot about those that have characteristics that perhaps benefit the most. Are there any we should avoid?
2: Well, You can question whether you want to use a drug that reduces body weight in those who are lean, for example, Uh, and and, and maybe in particular lean and elderly because there may be some degree of sarcopenia which can get worse if you make them lose more uh, body weight. I think we have talked about those developing severe GI adverse events, so uh, if that doesn't subside within a relatively short time and uh, appears intolerable to the patient, then, of course, they are no longer candidates for the use of these drugs. We have no information of patients with previous pancreatitis because they have always been excluded from the clinical trials, so uh, we just don't know what we are uh, doing there. There is Uh, a definite biology suggesting there is an increased risk for medullary thyroid carcinoma in patients with either a family history or a personal history or a genetic risk indicating that they are candidates of developing this very, very rare tumor. So this affects only a a minority uh, of patients. And as has been mentioned already Uh, If you're not sure, is this type 1 or type 2 diabetes, and you have a very severe reduction in beta cell mass or function, then, of course, you don't have the substrate that these drugs uh, should work on.
0: And Priya, do you feel that there's any additional factors that we can consider when we're taking a patient, we're thinking about decision-making of what treatments we could be utilizing. Would you also weigh that up with lifestyle interventions alongside when prescribing things like incretin-based therapies? Would you advocate for diet and exercise in any way? to enforce those clinical benefits. Yeah.
1: And, you know, it's, it's very interesting. When we look at the clinical trials that these drugs were used in, those patients were very well supported with, with um, access to dietary support and also counseling on healthy behavior change. So that is a pillar and cornerstone of management. If any sort of chronic disease is that patient engagement, particularly in diabetes, because, you know, if, if you are, the drugs only do so much, the drugs improve your probability of success. So everything that we do, th- th- there are no guarantees in medicine, but better engagement and healthy behaviors will improve your chances of success. Incretin therapies by suppressing appetite and putting the brakes on that neurobiological response to weight loss is very important because that also improves your probabilities of success. So essentially with chronic disease, I say to patients, everything that we're doing, the lifestyle interventions in particular, will improve your probabilities of success. And when I recommend physical activity, I don't recommend it to improve your glycemia only or for weight loss. Physical activity has many beneficial effects on your health, beyond glycemia beyond weight loss so it really is low-lying fruit so um, you know i think when you explain to patients that that the role of lifestyle really is to improve your probabilities of success and you try to figure out you know what's preventing them from engaging a big part of that has been hunger A lot of patients who are trying to lose weight and eat better are hungry, and that's the neurobiology. So I think these are very powerful medications, and I think they really have facilitated the um, lifestyle changes that we need um, for patients with chronic disease.
0: Michael, do you have any uh, thoughts on on the development and the application of these incretin hormone-based therapies?
2: Yeah, well, uh, as I said, 2007, the first uh, GLP-1 receptor agonist was ad- uh, approved and, and uh, used. And it was a product of serendipity because someone had detected XenDIN-4 in the saliva of a lizard. Uh, and it happened to be a GLP-1 receptor agonist. Uh, the main uh, purpose of this development and it has been extremely successful was to increase the half-life of these drugs Uh, and that is reflected in the intervals between the injections uh, twice a day once a day once a week i think is standard now uh, that that also helps convincing patients uh, that they should start an injectable treatment which most of them don't like as an idea uh, also it's not always the compound but it's the way it is used uh, starting dose up titration and so all this has been optimized over the years so that severe adverse events are really very rare nowadays and that is an example of, of very thoughtful Uh, pharmacological development of a class and basically we have seen more effective drugs every two years something is happening sometimes we cannot even explain what is responsible for the improved efficacy but i think we can be grateful that this development has taken place and now the weight loss which was initially nice to have is so substantial that it probably uh, is very relevant for the future health of our patients.
1: And just, just to add to that, in terms of the patients preferring injectables, I mean, injectables are very effective, especially where peptide hormones are concerned. And a lot of technology has gone into trying to make those peptide hormones orally absorbed. And, you know, Where possible, I try to encourage the use of the injectable over the oral incretin because it's so much more reliable and bypasses the issues with absorption. Also, when you sort of look at the amount of drug you need in an oral medication, it's a lot more than an injectable. And, you know, there's been concerns about drug shortages, etc. So I think that's something um, to consider um and uh i think one of the really important points that uh michael brought up has to do with the elderly and frailty and i think that's a really important thing i think there's a lot of um protein loss i'm sorry muscle loss as you get older and i think that's something we don't really
0: understand well and how these treatments affect that and and you mentioned those considering things like in being an injectable Mm -hmm. as a practitioner how do you approach that communication and that decision making with your patients how do you come to having that shared decision making and weighing up um, these circumstances Um, what can we kind of advise to the audience of what could be the approach there
1: I think a lot of patients have preconceived notions about injectables being used for more severe disease and and worse outcomes. And if they avoid them, then, you know, uh, their disease isn't as bad. And and really with diabetes, you want to get ahead of it. Um, Diabetes is progressive. If you live to be 200, I'm sure these drugs will also stop working. The, the idea is to slow the process down with these drugs so that you live your life as best as you can. And I think um, sort of being supportive to patients, explaining it, saying, hey, you can try it. If you don't like it, you can stop, but giving them the information that they need and the support that they need. Um, at the end of the day, everybody wants to be healthier, but they're afraid. Of, of side effects, et cetera. So I also find that group visits and speaking to other patients on online chats can also be very informative and supportive for
0: patients. So I try to get them connected with other patients who've tried it. Yeah, that's great. And I think what we, we, you're saying there is that, you know, incretin hormones are a, a useful tool um, to our patients. And that's a, it's a point of just educating and empowering our patients to understand their role, their importance, um, and getting that kind of shared understanding and and make those decisions collectively to move forward. Thank you so much, both of you. It's been a really insightful journey. I hope our audience have also enjoyed it as much as I have. Um, Thank you for providing your insights and uh, perspectives on the patient um, for managing their type 2 diabetes. So that concludes today's discussion. Again, my thanks go to Professor Michael Newak and Dr. Priya Manju, who provided the thorough and informative discussion as part of our podcast series, From Gut to Glory, Digesting the Potential of Gut Hormones in Type 2 Diabetes Management, with our audience. This was the final episode of a four-part series. If you enjoyed this episode, you can tune in to more at the EMJ Podcast through your preferred podcast platform or by visiting emjreviews.com. So until next time, take care and goodbye for now.